Uh, let me read for us today's scripture, uh, and then we'll spend a few moments uh, reflecting on it. Uh, today's uh, scripture reading comes from Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. It says this. It says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I don't know if you have all felt this way, but 2020 has been tough. Uh, it has been a really strange year. And this year, I think more than uh, most, certainly in my lifetime, I don't know about you all, but certainly in my lifetime, uh, has, I cannot think of a year that's been more the opposite of peaceful. 2020 has hands down been one of the most turbulent and uncertain and disorienting years uh, that we could imagine. It's been a year, of course, of COVID that has left uh, 1.5 million people dead around the world. It's left 300,000 plus dead here in the United States alone. And even thinking about our city and the, how it was ravaged back in the, the spring and how we continue to struggle, it's been a tough, tough year. Uh, it's been one of the most traumatic. I think that, again, many of us have experienced, not only because of the death toll, but also because of the continued uh, economic fallout that's come. Small businesses uh, have gone out of business. Many have, gone, many have been out of work. Uh, there have been severe inse uh, food insecurities that existed before COVID and now have only gotten worse. There, uh, in places where there was abuse and violence, it's only gotten worse now as a result of COVID. It's been a year of uh, deep unrest as a result of continued injustice in our nation. It's been a year of deep, deep divides that have resulted in uh, deep partisanship. It's been a year when the idolatry of so much of the American church has been made plain with rising nationalism that's become this new religion in the church. It's been a year that will reverberate for many years as the consequences of this year are still yet to be seen. And in the midst of all of this turmoil and heartache and uncertainty, we read about, in Isaiah 9, about this one who's called the Prince of Peace. Now, if you've been with us, we've been in a, a short series, our Advent series called He Shall Be Called, uh, which has been a series looking at the names of Jesus found in Isaiah 9. And this being the final week, we look at the final name that is given there, that name Prince of Peace. I mean, what in the world does it mean for Jesus to be a Prince of Peace, especially since we are, um, we are in the midst of these incredibly difficult, turbulent times? I mean, what does it mean, not only for Jesus to be some hypothetical Prince of Peace, but also to be a very close and near Prince of Peace to us now? Because I know that for many, the holiday season is often anything but peaceful. Uh, for some, again, it's, it's painful, it's hard. Uh, for others, you're looking at 2021 with very little hope and peace that seems possible. And for others, maybe you're here, and Jesus being called a Prince of Peace just kind of sounds like this nonsensical platitude with no real meaning that Christians just 
say about Jesus in order to make themselves feel better this time of year. But what I want to do is I want to try to understand what it means for Jesus to be a prince of peace. So that when we think about him rightly, we discover that peace is not actually something that can be affected by the circumstances that surround us. COVID doesn't undermine our peace. Injustice doesn't undermine our peace. Turbulent times do not undermine our peace when we understand what it means for Jesus to be our Prince of Peace. And so I want to briefly explain to you what it means for Jesus to be our Prince, what it means for Jesus to be our Prince of Peace, and then what it means for him to be your specific Prince of Peace. Right, so what exactly does it mean for Jesus to be a prince? A prince? Uh, in essence, that term uh, actually speaks of a leader. In the, the original Hebrew word, it has a lot of military connotations, like some of the other terms that we've looked at, the names that, of Jesus. Uh, in other places, that same word is translated commander, like the general over an army. And I note this because there's something rather ironic about Jesus being called a commander over peace. It could be translated that he's our general of peace. And when we talk about, uh, we're going to talk about peace in a minute, but I don't want to miss the fact that whatever peace is, that it assumes that there is some kind of tension, there is some kind of turbulence, there's some kind of warfare that's having to go on. Experiencing peace is not going to be some kind of passive experience, but rather it's going to be something that is only accomplished through victory, led by a general, a commander, a prince. Because so often, as we think about peace, we tend to conceive of peace as being this state of tranquility or this sense of calm or happiness, but Jesus being called a prince of peace at least reminds us that a state of tranquility is not always going to be a reality because there's a battle, there's a war going on. But what then does it mean, if that's what it means for Jesus to be a prince, this kind of commander, what does it mean to be, uh, for him to be peace? What does peace mean? Well, uh, again, we tend to think about peace in this kind of state of tranquility, calm, happiness, and sometimes that can be the case. But that's actually, that doesn't nearly get at what the Bible is referring to when it says peace. In fact, again, this word peace, it's translated from the word shalom. And the biblical teaching of shalom is far more than any sense of tranquility or calm that we might experience. See, shalom, biblical shalom, speaks of wholeness, of fullness, of completeness. The idea of shalom is recognizing that life is complex And as a result, when aspects of life are not in alignment with how they should be, shalom begins to break down. So when shalom, true shalom, is present, all things are working together in perfect harmony. There is wholeness, there is completeness. I mean, that is why in the Bible, shalom is far more than just a pursuit of tranquility, but it's also a pursuit of repairing anything that was broken as a result of the breakdown. So as an example, if two nations are at war with one another, shalom is not a ceasefire. Rather, shalom is the reconciliation that must occur that leads to a relationship and trust between these two warring nations. Or for example, when there is injustice, shalom is not just 
ending the cause of injustice, but shalom is repairing the consequences that were caused by the injustice. So that there's wholeness, so that there's restoration that's there. When perfect shalom exists, there is perfect and complete wholeness. And so Jesus is not a prince of tranquility or a prince of calm, but rather Jesus is the commander, the prince of wholeness. He is the ruler over perfection. And so then what then, what does this mean then for us personally? How then is Jesus our prince of peace? Especially when we're in the midst of continued, turbulent, difficult, uncertain times. Well, Isaiah 9, we've said this over and over again over the last four weeks. Isaiah 9 is speaking of a king who has come to usher in a kingdom. And it's a kingdom that's unlike any other kingdom. It's a kingdom that is uh, one marked by justice and righteousness and perfect shalom, perfect wholeness. And so God promises that one day we will experience this perfect Shalom, this restoration of all things. That his people will uh, experience a world that is without sickness, without death, without abuse, without injustice, without violence or fear, fear, all of which erodes wholeness. And I know that that sounds great, but what does that mean for us now then? If that's this present or this this coming reality, what does it mean for us for that to um, be present here? in the now. Now, we know that uh, every day we experience uh, a lack of shalom in our lives. A lack of shalom is common to all of us. It's a unifier. We all know what it means to live in this broken world. But a lack of shalom often, so often, is the result of a misalignment that we have with God's intention for us. And what I mean is that anything in life that we are purposed for. So God intends certain things for us. When we are not living in alignment with his intention, that's where shalom begins to break down. And that makes sense to us, right? When we're doing something or using something in a way that it was never intended to be used, you're inevitably going to see something break down. You know, I can't use a screwdriver like I would a hammer without ruining the screwdriver. And I, that came to mind as I was putting this together because I've done that a lot of times. So, um, <laughs> But we can't expect things to remain as they should when we don't use them as we should. And so if God has particular intentions for us and we don't live in light of those intentions, then of course we're going to have a breakdown. I mean, consider all the realities of life that absolutely reveal this lack of shalom. Relational discord and injustice and unrighteous anger and hatred and lust and gluttony and greed are all examples of a misalignment with God's intention for us. And all of those misalignments produce a complete lack of shalom in our own lives. And then as we engage in those things, they often produce a lack of shalom in other people's lives. I mean, so often the breakdown is so interconnected with one another because our sin, our rejection of God's intention never just impacts us. It always has a reverberation into the lives of those that are around us. It completely undermines God's intention for us. Disobedience to God's intention always leads to a lack of shalom. 
And here's the, the flip side of all of that. If we could all just follow God's commands and his intentions for our lives perfectly, live in perfect alignment, we would experience shalom. We would experience it right now. But I think it's fair to say that if we're honest, we, we know, we, just, we do not have the ability to do that. We cannot live in perfect alignment with God's purposes. We constantly are failing. That's why every single week we take time in our service, and I hope we take time regularly in our own personal lives to acknowledge the ways that we have not lived up to what God intends, that we, the ways we have not submitted to Jesus as king. Those are the reasons why shalom breaks down. So, if that's the case, if we can't actually achieve shalom through the life of, um, through living a life that God intends, where then is our hope? Well, Ephesians 2 speaks, Paul is uh, in that passage speaking of Jesus, and in that passage, he calls Jesus our peace. Now, here he's saying that Jesus is our promised wholeness, that Jesus is our shalom in some sense. And Romans 5 tells us that those who have been justified through faith have experienced, uh, have peace with God. They experience a peace with God through Jesus, meaning that there is a lack of shalom. There is a lack of relational wholeness that we have with God. And that lack of wholeness is the primary reason that we experience all the other kinds of turbulence and turmoil in life. So often it comes back to that breakdown. And that's why so many of us experience that. That's what, it's one of those great unifiers. But because of that lack of shalom, because of that sin, it's impacted everything about our world. And the reason why I bring this up now is because we will never experience Jesus as our Prince of Peace until we see him as our peace, as the one who brings the shalom, the one who makes right this discord, or this, this uh, disconnected relationship that we have with God. I mean, this is why Jesus comes. This is why we celebrate Christmas, because Jesus comes to fix that broken relationship, that misalignment that we've had with the Father. You know, in Jesus' life, he lives a perfect life, perfect alignment with God's purposes. He lives that life for us. And then on the cross, he takes the ultimate consequences of our misalignment, which is death. He does so for us. And then our commander of peace, our general of peace, he lays down his life that we might have shalom with God. I mean, this is what he has accomplished for us. And in his resurrection, he proves that he is the one who has the power to crush all the consequences of sin and death and provide us this resurrection life that gives us everything that he deserved. The perfect righteousness of Jesus becomes ours. That perfect alignment that Jesus had, it becomes ours as a result of what Jesus has done. And if you remember, we've said again over and over again, I'll close with this thought. The Advent is a season of longing. It's a season that reminds us that we can really only celebrate Christmas if we recognize the darkness that comes before the celebration. Right? There is a darkness 
that exists as a result of this misalignment that we have with God. And when we recognize that now when Jesus comes, we experience this great light. And everything that I've just said about what Jesus has done, he has accomplished for us. It's done. It's over. But we live in this time where we don't just look back to what he's done. Now we have to look ahead, look forward to when he comes again. That's where this longing is, where he, we long for him to come again, that this kingdom that he, he began to establish 2,000 years ago, and that we celebrate the beginnings of now. We look toward the day when it will be experienced by us in its fullness when he returns. I started uh, today by saying that peace is not the absence of turbulence, but rather it's the way in which we experience that turbulence when it comes. And this is what it means for Jesus to be our Prince of Peace. And this is what I want to leave you with. That when we remember that Jesus has accomplished this peace between us and God. And when we remember that there's a day coming when we will experience the fullness of his peace, when, his, when we experience the fullness of his kingdom, we can look now at all the circumstances that surround us and know that our peace has been secured. The peace has nothing to do with COVID or injustice or hardships. It has everything to do with what Christ has accomplished and what we now look ahead toward. And so I pray that this season, this Christmas season, uh, in this, this Christmas season that's the end of a terrible year, would give us an opportunity to deepen our hope and our joy and our trust in this peace. That it would not be shallowed by all that's going on, but it would be deepened by what is going on because it proves all the more everything that Jesus said about what we've needed and about what is to come. I pray that this season becomes an opportunity for us to again see Jesus rightly as our Prince of Peace, our Commander of Peace, the one who has accomplished much that we might experience full and complete shalom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for your goodness, your grace, and your mercy toward us. We acknowledge all of the ways that we uh, so often live in misalignments, but we, we praise you for the work of Jesus, the sending of your Son, that has made it so that we might experience full and complete shalom, full and complete wholeness and restoration. God, would you give us eyes to see the coming day when Jesus will return and we will experience such things in its fullest. We ask all this. In Jesus' name, amen.